In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. You know, what are the things in your life where you see the enemy is opposing you, where you tend to step back and retreat instead of step in? It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. From Men in the Arena, it's Equipping Men in 10. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we We salute salute you. you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos. I'm here with producer and co-host Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? I'm doing really good. Getting ready to catch your first salmon with me this weekend? I'm ready to put some salmon in the freezer. They are hammering them out there, so uh, it it's should be a good time. free fishing day? And it's free fishing day. Too bad so you everybody your and license. their mom will be out there. Yeah, but the guy we're going with is a killer. He's a fish killer. Ah, He's the like best it. guy out there. He's I great. Love, so, I'm excited. Hey, I'm excited, too. I'm excited about our guest today, and I'll tell you why. He is one of the most connected guys I know. All the way out in North Carolina... He's a, a layman. He owns his own business, but he is responsible for no less than 10 of our guests coming on the show. Him personally connecting with with, with these guys. And uh, I'm really excited about what he's doing. It's heart for guys. But before we jump into our interview with him, do you have a man word for me? It's Don't say the barn. Don't say barn. Don't say barn. <laughs> you can't say barn for man word. Were you going to say barn? You throw out some stuff you can't, sometimes. Okay, okay, how can is that the word? You throw some stuff no, out. You sometimes are so. What do my kids call that? Basic. <laughs> how can you say that the man, the barn is a man word? Oh, how, you explain okay. it. I think this. I think every man at some point in their life should spend some time in the barn and just the 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 dirt, the stank, the everything that it represents. But uh, in our guest, in this uh, context, it's pretty cool what they're doing. But I, yeah, so I had to say barn, dude. I'm a country boy at heart, and uh, I wish I had a big old it's barn. Not, not even fun. It is. It's not even fun anymore. It's so <laughs> easy to guess. <clears throat> but I will say this. I was I was training for this. I'm going to Wyoming next week, and I'm climbing the tallest mountain in Buffalo in the, what is it, the... Bighorn Range, I guess, Buffalo Mountain or something. And so I'm, it's going to 13,800 feet. And I was training yesterday, and I was hurting. It was 93 degrees. And I had a 30-pound pack on, and I was hurting. And I thought, you know what? This is what men need to do. They need to hurt. They need to embrace the suck of life. They need to embrace the pain. We shrink back from pain. We shrink away from the barn, so to speak. And we, we head to the couch, and we really need mm-hmm. to invite pain, especially in this day and age. We're post-industrial revolution. We're technological revolution, and it's all about keyboards now. And uh, and we just need more than ever to physically endure some pain. So anyway, some hay bales in yep, the barn, baby. Yep, yep, yep. So you were saying we don't have we have a lot of reviews, but no, sh- but no, no new, no, 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 no written reviews, but we have yeah. a lot of ratings. Yeah, yeah. So, so tell tell the guys what's the difference. A rating is a star. And we're rating okay. Like, I think you're a five. So we're getting a lot of five star ratings, but whatever. we want people to write stuff down, yeah, right? We Why? Hear Why do the, we want to do we that? We like to hear the stories, how this is impacting you, um, if it's making a difference, yeah. and and so yeah, we'd just like to hear that. Well, and you know what? When we send out the equipping blast, we had a tennis player from South Africa, tennis coach from South Africa, reached out. 
The other day we had a farmer from South Dakota reach out, and uh, this is really encouraging to hear what God is doing in your life, guys, and how he's helping you uh, become your best version and, and how he's using us to be a part of that part of your life. So we're super excited about that. So just encourage us. We'd like to share that. Every week in our weekly equipping blast, we do share one when a man gets its story. So, hey, I want to waste no further time. I want to get our guest on the show my new friend, Haynes Maxwell, he is 63 years old, lives in Charlotte, North Carolina with his beautiful wife. He calls her hot, but I, I'm not going to call another man's wife hot. His beautiful wife, Diana, and uh, he has owned uh, and worked in the promotional product sales company business for 30 years. His passion is to see as many men as possible not have the following inscribed on their tombstone, quote, I lived a life of quiet desperation and went to the grave with my song still in me. Haynes, it's great to have you on your show, man. How you doing? Man, it's good to be with you and your wingman, Dale. Um, doing well. Just had a big night last night at the barn with a bunch of, <laughs> bunch of ragamuffins, so I'm fresh off a great time with some brothers, but I, I love what you guys are doing, and really on behalf of all the guys at the barn and Kevin Kasner, who 15 years ago gathered with a few friends. Kevin, if Kevin weren't battling for his life right now, if he, uh, if he weren't battling uh, cancer courageously, he would be talking to you. So I, uh, uh, it's an honor to step in for him and the other guys that lead the charge at the barn. Good to be with you from the Carolinas. Oh, yeah. So, hey, I got a question for you, man. This uh, tombstone anti-quote, is this a... Uh, derivative of ralph waldo emerson's quote that most yeah, men is. Live... i kind of yeah i had to tweak it for to if to put it on a tombstone <laughs> I, that was my tombstone version yeah most in fact i'd heard most of my life uh, most men lead lives of quiet desperation and a few years ago and that that sort of haunted me because that was a story uh a theme in my story before I knew the Lord and frankly for a few decades afterwards. Uh, but I was at a conference that one of your guests, Michael Thompson and his yeah. crew went from Zoe. Yeah. And I heard Michael from the stage say, say most men lead lives of quiet desperation. And for the first time I heard, or at least it sunk into my heart when he said, and go to the grave with their songs mm. still in them. Yeah. I think, I think that's true. I think most fly, guys do live that way. They live in a world of uh, their vocation and uh, bill to bill and payment to payment, and they never really understand what their mission is. And you said yeah. that you went for two decades after you came to Christ in that mode. Hey, why, will you take a few minutes and share your story with us so we can be familiar with who you are, man? Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm the firstborn of Haynes A. Maxwell Sr., who he and mom just turned 90. And oh. uh, so I was the firstborn. I was the superstar son, uh, quarterback of the football team, which sounds pretty cool until I confessed that I peaked athletically at 12. So I was kind of a pop Warner <laughs> star, but all my buddies were, I was 120, literally, I was 120 in the ninth grade. So I switched to soccer. But so I, I grew up the superstar performance based kid, like most mm -hmm. of us grew up learning how the world works. If you make your bed and do your homework and make good grades, then all is well. Um, we, we didn't really have any a real spiritual component. Uh, uh, when I was in high school, I dabbled in a, a local youth group. I don't know how you, you, you guys get pretty raw on your podcast. So I'm going to just throw this out here. I, I had heard there was a girl in the high school youth group that if you're real nice to her, uh, at the beach retreat, she might let you touch her boob. And I'm thinking, I just had a compelling interest in youth ministry. So I got kind of plugged in to the high school group for a while, but that faded. And um, then I went off to college. And uh, I guess by today's standards, in many respects, I might be a late bloomer. But when I, um, well, backstroke a little bit, my mom was invited to a Bible study in her 40s. She came home talking about Jesus all the time. We were pretty certain she had joined a cult. So I, I went off to college not believing in anything other than the, the hope that the world revolved around Haynes Maxwell Jr. And the first time I, 
for the biblical scholars, for the first time I knew a woman, a woman like Adam knew Eve, for the, the first time I was with a woman, woman sexually, I became a believer, uh, Jim, in something very powerful. And that was, I wouldn't have said it at the time, but that a woman can validate the soul of this man. Yeah. So I, I went through the, oh my gosh, if this isn't heaven, this will do to heaven, comes along uh, freshman year and had a heartbreak and spent the rest of college trying to recover the Garden of Eden with Eve. Mm-hmm. And in Chapel Hill in the 70s, and it's probably been true before and since, but it was not difficult to find a woman to be with in any manner. But I, there was something in my heart longing for that first love, and I couldn't find it. And that that is kind of what drove me to the Lord. And I, I won't give you all the details there, but I, I came to a point at the end of my junior year in college where God, God basically crashed my party. And suddenly I found four undercover Christians in my fraternity. Uh, at that point, I knew no Christian on the face of the earth. I did not, not know one person on the face of the earth that said, I'm a follower of Jesus other than my mother. And we thought she was kind of a kook. So I'm on a spiritual journey. I meet a woman. Um, we fall in love. My prayer life started then. I said, Lord, don't let me have sex with this woman because that's messed up all my relationship. So somehow, despite myself, God uh, saw us through, we got married. And part of the desperation thing is what, what I wouldn't have been able to articulate at the time, but very clearly, I had this new heart, this new longing to follow God, but I had this flesh thing hanging on me that said that you get your validation from not any woman, but now your wife. Yeah. Yeah. From your wife responding to you. Uh, not, not just sexually, but in every way, emotionally. So I was looking for my validation from my wife and that led to, and she had her, she wasn't perfect. She's a, she's a great woman, but she had her own issues. So she's thinking, what, does this guy really want me or does he just want what I can do for him? So we lived uh, 20 years, uh, the first 10 years, never even talking about the issues you and I are talking about now. It was just, mm-hmm. hey, let's just read the Bible. And in fact, we were teaching a Bible study to younger couples about biblical marriage. Well, I was sleeping in a different bedroom down the hall. Oh, wow. We were so disconnected. And of course, there was nobody in my world that I could admit that to, especially in church. Oh, my goodness. Because we all go in on Sundays and fist bump and remind ourselves that God's good. Yeah, all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, my life just totally sucks. But I don't want to tell you that that's true, especially in church. So I, that that was my Christian version of living a life of quiet desperation. And, and until I... Until a wild man, Dan Allender and Larry Crabb rode it, rolled into town back in the 90s and did a, a seminar. Uh, that was a point in the mid-90s where I began to connect a few things that I knew were true in my head, but I wasn't experiencing them in my heart. And later, when uh, through the tragedy of separation and divorce, someone had given me the book called The Sacred Romance by John Eldridge and his buddy Brent Curtis, and then the book Wild at Heart came out, I think, a year later, that for the first time I started to get some clarity of, hey, I know all these things are true, and me and my friends are throwing Bible verses back and forth. Um, but my heart, I was I was like the, Jesus, I think, looked at some wise religious men and says, your lips honor me, mm. uh, but but your hearts are far from me. And, and that, was, that was true. I told a friend, I'll, I'll confess this to you guys and to whoever's listening, uh, I, I told a friend once, I said, man, if I could be married and have my wife and kids and have a girlfriend on the side, that would be perfect. This is my Christian friend, okay? And he looked at me and said, wow, I get, I get it, man. I get it. But at the, guilt, the guilt would kill me. And I told, I told my friend at the time, I said, you know what? I, don't, I didn't say this to him, but I, I, what I felt was I don't think that my heart was so hard. I don't think the guilt would have gotten to me because it was all about me and my validation and I wasn't getting it from, from my wife. And I'd become a very distant guy with her. I'm sure she did not, she did not feel loved or pursued. Um, so it was all about me and, and tragically the quote unquote perfect Christian couple that it was one of those. And I'm sure you guys have seen it. You, you go into shock when 
Bob and Sue get divorced. And he said, Bob, the leader of the men's ministry and Sue, the leader of the prayer team, they got divorced. You know, whiskey, tango, foxtrot, what happened there? Yeah. So that's a long answer to a short question, but that's kind of an overview of the the desperation I lived as a follower of Jesus and a part wow. of it. And, and I love you, you have a common theme. All the Almost all the guests I hear, there's a common theme of the longing in the hearts of men to connect with other men. Mm-hmm. That I need, I need to know the truth of God. That's my foundation. But part of the truth of God is all those one another's. You know, as iron sharpens iron, bear one another's burdens. We don't, we don't do that very well, in my experience. And that's that's the revolution I see across the country of men, and like what you guys are doing in barns and different places. Men are rising up, saying, "Man, if it's just the men's Bible study, if that's if that's all we have, we're, we're missing something." You you hit the nail on the head. Uh, and you're using this term, this phrase, quiet desperation. And as you're speaking, Haynes, I'm realizing that quiet is synonymous with alone. Mm. If a man is alone, he's isolated himself on purpose or, you know, you talked about your pastor friend of your, your church, uh, the, the church in Texas. He was, a, he was around a lot of guys, but he was yeah. not opening his heart up to others. So you can be alone in a crowd. And so what yes. you're saying is this quiet desperation, if you remove the word quiet and you put in fellowship, now there's no more def- uh, desperation. So so it's breaking out of our silence. Is that what I hear? Yeah, yeah. I think the many of us have been the Lone Ranger and starred in the movie, and it really uh, doesn't end well. Um the pastor I refer to, James Reeves, was he was fasting, praying, memorizing books of the Bible, trying to break through to God. And out of his depression, leading this big church, and God revealed to him quite clearly at one point, James, all those things you're doing are, are good, but you're doing them because you don't want you don't you don't want any man to know what a mess your life is. It was a pride thing. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm tracking 100%. Well, we're going to get into your life since then, and I'm really excited about that. But before we do, I want to throw you into our, <laughs> I'm going to throw you into our rapid fire round. Are you ready mm. for this? I've been dreading it, but in Jesus' name, let me have it, brother. Okay, what I'm doing, man, is I'm doing just a finish the sentence round. So it's just I say the first half of the sentence, you give me the second half. You can give me a short in, a short explanation if you want, but we're going to rumble right through these and we're going to get into the barn. So, right. first, I'll, I'll qu- try and do short. First okay. one, I know, I know, I know. First one is I love the I love North Carolina because I can get to the mountains and be kissing my wife in less than two hours. Oh, I like it. I've I have never been to either of the Carolinas. I need to do that. So the next you know, one if is if you only had a connection with the airlines, you could come out here. If I only had an invitation. All right. Well, <laughs> you're invited. You're invited. Okay. All right. Next one. Next one. One thing I love about my wife is she is passionate. She's a passionate woman, and a lot of guys would take that to a sexual realm. And all I can say is in my sixties, all I can say is it, it gets better with age there, mm-hmm. but she's, she's just, she's just a wide open. She, and she's a great cheerleader for me. I love, of course I love that, I guess selfishly, but she's just a, she's just a wide open person. I mean, when we go to the grocery store, she and I are two peas in a pod. We, we almost adopt uh, the checkout girl or the bag boy and take them home every time we go shopping. She just loves people and she's got a, a real passion for God and for people. That's awesome. So I happen to know because you're so wildly connected, your nickname oh, yeah. is the Pope. Do you know, did you know I well, knew that about you? So, so, <laughs> so a, here we go. Jeff Andreessen thing. Oh, come on now. So here we go for our friend, Jeff. If I were Pope for a day, I would. <laughs> If I were Pope for a day, yeah, um, I would stand in the pulpit of every church and live out my church fantasy. And I have a, I have a sermon I would deliver to married couples that maybe we'll get to later. I won't give it to you now, but that's what I would do. I would, I would have, I would have five minutes in every church in the world. All right, 
That would be a busy day, man. Here's the next one. I get ticked off when. Did you say ticked off? Ticked off, yeah. Oh, boy. Let's see. How honest do we want to be? I would say, uh, to be frank, I get honest in dealing with the men, particularly I love, in church world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that have never been in the marketplace and love people and are called to minister but have no clue relative to uh i'll rewind don't have as much a clue as i wish they would have (laughs) relative to planning executing communicating because in the business world we business guys know today you identify a problem tomorrow you come up with a solution the next day you execute it or the next day you've lost your customer yeah so that's the world we business guys are living in and so that that sort of ticks that's more of a frustration than a tick off with uh the, the church world and because that's a big part of my life is being a part of the body of Christ. So, oh, totally. So there. Yeah. So how about this last one? If I could change one thing about my life, it would be what? One thing about my life. Um, you know, I've been super blessed and to, to be real frank, being a small business guy, um, when you're a small business guy and things are hard, everybody gets paid. And if there's no money, the owner doesn't get paid. So there's, there's stress in the financial world. So, um, if I could, uh, I would grant my wife's wish, wish, which she says, honey, if I win the lottery, I would turn you loose to just be with men and love on men all day long instead of out there grinding in the marketplace. So mm. That's a roundabout answer. All right, man. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate your honesty there. So, hey, I want to jump into our interview questions. And the first one is this. You're involved in something called The Barn. I've heard a lot about this thing from you and others. Uh, You guys meet every Tuesday night, and you've done that for the last 15 years. Tell us about this. How did The Barn get started, and what's the mission? Well, uh, I referenced earlier Kevin Kasner, who's battling cancer. He had a friend uh, who's at a an American Airlines pilot, actually, childhood friend said, brother, I've never told you to read a book, but he stuck the book wild at heart in his hand and said, read this book. Hmm. Kevin read it and it just shook him. He went out to a wild at heart, ransom heart boot camp in Colorado with John Eldridge and the boys and his performance based, got the lingo, got the suit, got the hairdo, got the big Bible with the highlighters. That whole thing just got blown up. And he was, uh, he realized he was walking through life, uh, on the performance-based Christian rat wheel. And one of the issues was he would tell you he didn't really have any friends. Mm. Um, so he found out there was a video series that went with the book Wild at Heart. So he and a couple other guys, God kind of connected some guys in the Charlotte area. Next thing he knew, he had four or five friends in the second story of a barn. Could be a bar, with, but this is a bar with an N. Um, they were, they were meeting in his brother-in-law's barn, uh, on a couple couches with a TV going through the wild at heart video series. Um, about 12 months after the, the genesis of it, I was recruiting for men, uh, for a men's retreat at my church. So I'm at this church, Steel Creek Church of Charlotte, spectacular people from 50 different nations other than America. It's the, it's the most diverse place I've been and I, I love it. So me and another guy had planned a men's retreat. I'd been there for a number of years. And they said, yeah. So we had it planned for the fall. A couple months beforehand, the pastor said, you know, it's a busy fall. Let's just, let's punt, let's punt that men's retreat another year out. And we're like, oh, you're killing us. So a year comes around and we say, hey, we want to set up a table to recruit for the men's retreat. And if my pastors listen to this, their, their recollection may be different. But all I knew is there was no room in the inn for the men's retreat table. So I brought a pop-up canopy tent from my office and we stood out in the parking lot on a hot August day with a table snagging men as they left their cars walking into the building. So some big old dude walks up to me. I'd never seen him. He said, you know the book Wild at Heart? I said, I love it. He said, have you seen the video series? I said, no, did not know they had one. He wrote, I don't know if he had a bulletin or something. He had a piece of paper. He wrote, he said, call this guy named Kevin. He's starting the Wild at Heart video series this Tuesday night, episode one, in the second story of a barn. And he just, he walked away. And I turned to my friend at the table. I said, who was that guy? I don't know. So I called Kevin. I said, hey, can I invite myself to your barn? Um, He said, sure. So me and my friend Tom Downs walk up the second flight of stairs. There's horse stalls and 
course stuff downstairs and there's five or six men upstairs and we watch episode one of the video series thinking if we like it, we'll take it back to our church as a follow-up to this long-awaited men's retreat. Well, 15 years later, I don't need all five fingers, Jim and Dale, to count the Tuesdays I missed. Uh, and unless it's Christmas or New Year's, which I'm not good at math, but I'm guessing every six or seven years, the same day of the week, it's going to be Christmas. So we've just had a, you know, 52 weeks a year we meet unless it's Christmas or New Year's. And we, we go through different video series, but the real mission, whatever we're doing, we may show three or four movie clips from the legend of Bagger Vance. And if you've never seen a movie with Will Smith as the Holy Spirit, you need to watch that movie. So we may show just something to stir the hearts of men. And we, in our typical format, we'll break into groups of five or six men for at least an hour. And even whoever's standing up front, we, we like to think highly of our wisdom that we're dispensing to the troops. But we say, hey, it where it really happens is not listen, listening to Haynes or Brian or Kevin or John, but it's it's when you're in a group with five or six men and guys are sharing their stories and sharing. We have very specific questions. Uh, we don't ask them, what do you think uh, Captain Juno was thinking when he came back from war and had lost all his men and had gone into, we, we want to know, what, what are you thinking when you see that man run away from his colleague? Mm. Uh what are you thinking and what, what is God telling you? Um, so we, we get real. It's, uh, it's just, it's get real with the brothers. So uh, in this past year, what's really been an extra bonus, one of my business colleagues and I were at the barn early one night and we texted about 10 guys. We have a gas grill on the deck of the barn. And we said, Hey dudes, we're cooking brats and burgers. Come on. So that morphed into for the last year from five forty seven to seven oh seven that's I, I do time like that but anyway 545 to seven ish we're we're grilling and cooking and laughing and it, there might be 20 30 40 guys there come early just to eat and as you guys know in your experience i'm sure the meeting before the meeting and the meeting after the meeting sometimes god's doing stuff that's that's more impactful than the meeting even though we feel pretty good about what we're doing so that's kind of the cycle. We saw, we have allies across the state, across the country. We, we Michael Thompson and the Zoe guys, uh, we've Skyped them in. We've had Gordon Dobby Skyped in. Jeff Andreessen's come. But generally, it's very rare that we have guest speakers. We've had people ask us, can I come speak? And we and I tell them, or whoever's talking to them, we say, you know, that's this isn't really a format for speakers. This is, I've told guys, I said, this, we have heart surgery every Tuesday night. And men that come in that don't know us and we don't know them, we don't really, um, you know, we go to events, Iron Sharpens Iron. I know you've done some of those and, and the Zoe events and the Eldridge events and Gary Barkalow's events. We go to all those events and, and learn and get downloads. But on Tuesday nights, it's, it is, it's a in fact. Occasionally people say, what do you do? I said, I'm a heart surgeon. And they kind of wait, really? <laughs> I said, well, I'm really an assistant heart surgeon. What's that? Well, I, I, I bring men to Jesus and, he seems to do the heart surgery on him. So then they say, no, what do you do for a living? I go, oh, oh. So, yeah. So that's so, a little barn overview. I could talk for two hours nonstop about what God has done in me and through many hundreds of men at the barn. But that, that's kind of the flavor of it. So you said your first meeting there was upper level and there were five or six guys in there? Yeah. And so 15 years later, you're saying you meet in groups of five and six, but it sounds like there's anywhere up in the area of a hundred guys every week. Well, we've had just to clarify the numbers. Good question. We, uh, over the course of a year, we'll have hundreds to typically once you get past, and I guess it's a God thing, but the barns divided into several sections and we've got a big movie screen and that area seats a max of probably about 50. But uh, on a given Tuesday night, there may be 25, 30, 45 guys, uh, there. You know, but yeah, it started in, back in 2005 and 2006 when I came dancing along. There's a group of us with real big mouths that, you know, we had, you know, 10 guys each tell 10 guys. And then all of a sudden you got 100 guys that knew about the barn that didn't know about it a month before. So we, uh, we, we've, it's just grown and we have a, a Saturday morning group now that meets and we've got a church down the road that has no men's ministry. They kind of do this, everything comes out of the life group model mm -hmm. which wh whatever so no comment but these are a bunch <laughs> of men that say hey we we want to we want to we need the men need to connect with men so we got some guys from a church down the road meeting the first and third saturday and we have a 
a new church plant that um, grew from zero to 1,600 people in two weeks. That's another story. But anyway, we've got a bunch of their men have been down there twice to the barn. We want it to be a resource to the body of Christ. And it's you, you guys, I've sent you guys pictures. I mean, we've got World War II. We've got our dads in boot camp. We've got gearheads, 101st Airborne flag, swords, all kind of stuff hanging up. And uh, it's you walk in there, and it just stirs something in the masculine soul. And mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago, a man walked in, and I just had to be walking out to get some barbecue. And he was walking in, so he was right there. He walked in, and he just stood and looked around. He got teary-eyed. He got teary-eyed. He said, is this what I think it is? And I said, well, it's a place where men get real. He said, he nodded his head. He said that first time, first time he'd been there, he said, that's what I thought. I, I didn't know a place like this existed. Wow. So wow. I, I hear, we hear stories like that every week and that keeps us going. <laughs> hey, we're going to take a short break, uh, hear from our sponsor. We'll come right back at you. The Men in the Arena is a nonprofit organization with the mission to inspire men towards becoming their best version and changing their world. Every man in the arena matters. Our Men in the Arena closed Facebook forum for men is a great way to dialogue about manhood with men from around the world. There we have lively discussions on every topic of manhood imaginable. Join that group today. Because of the passion to see men get out of the bleachers and into the arena, Jim wants to offer some powerful resources to all men who visit our website at meninthearena.org. Give us your email and we'll send you a free PDF version of the field guide. It's Jim's 365-day bathroom book for men. It's the study of manly words in the Bible, illustrated with great stories. This is also a great resource for all our arena men. We'll also add you to our weekly equipping blast, including Jim's personal blog, prayer requests, and weekly boots on the ground mission. Men, the stakes are high. The pressure is on. Do you hear the roars of those you love and those anonymous voices in the bleachers pleading for you to enter the fight? Because when you get it, everyone wins. Now, back to our episode. So you've said several things, Haynes, that got me stirred up here. You said this is a place where men get real. And then you said this place stirs up the masculine soul. You know, I've been reading a lot lately on masculinity and a lot of there's a political phrase out there called toxic masculinity. What what in your, in your opinion, how would you define the masculine soul? Oh, that's a great question. What, I, I mean, what is it? How is it different yeah. than women? Well, I tell you what, what first comes to mind, uh I I told you about the uh through the 90s we had an invasion, regular invasion at church I was a part of of Dan Allender and and Larry Crabb, and one of the things they shared was that men, the heart of a man primarily is is uh, is made to initiate, is made to impact. And Dan Allender enjoyed with a twinkle in his eye, he said, men are made to penetrate in, in, every, in every way. Yeah. In every way, right? Physically, emotionally, to penetrate and impact the world. Women, women and men both have both, but women more the primary responders. So when you ask that question, I think of, uh, so one of the seminars that Dan and Larry did, Dan, Dan said, fill in the blank, women respond to, and this was a young married couples thing. And we were all feeling the pressure to get the right answer. And we're all thinking, looking at each other. Well, love must be the answer. Allender said, women respond to strength. And so when, and when I look at my own journey in my first marriage, I was the world's biggest weenie mm. i was a wuss I, I did i did the dance around my house with my wife with my kids with my friends just trying to make sure everybody was happy uh you know my job's to go out and bring in the bacon and spread the money around and go out and do it again and if all the stars align uh then maybe i'm gonna get some uh appreciation back it was a very it, I, i've told friends my i and i i can't speak i'll let my first wife. And it's hard for me to even say that, that term, but I'll, she will speak for herself. But for me, I felt like where my heart was at the time and I wouldn't have said it then, but I was, I wasn't loving. I was trading. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Right. I, you get this, I get that. And you know, it's, as long as the plates keep spinning where everybody should be, uh, relatively happy, but the, the more, and I know many of your guests talk about this, the more I go deeper in my own identity with Christ, 
And I've argued with a pastor or two. I said, Pastor, a big part of that is I need brothers in my foxhole to remind me of who I am when the bullets are flying. Uh, it, the more I, the more I am embedded in my identity, then then I can take my strength to my beauty, to my friends, to my church. And Eldridge says it well: if if you don't know who you are, you're going to take your question to the woman or the sports team or the bank account or the ministry. In fact, years ago when I was sort of, we were, we, 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 after, after 10 years of no men's ministry, we had breakthrough at my local church and my wife looked at me in the kitchen one day. She said, honey, you're at a good place with Steel Creek, aren't you? I said, what do you mean? She said, well, you're not campaigning for elder and you don't care if they run you off. I said, <laughs> true. And I don't. And it's because I, it was, I had a sense and I have it now and it's, you guys are men, you know, it's, it's day to day, moment to moment, but generally there's a sense. I know that I'm the beloved son and I know that I'm called to be a warrior to fight for the hearts of those near me. And that defines me and whether my team wins or my wife is affectionate to me or I have money in the bank or they cheer for me on the stage. That that's not where I get it. I used to, that's where I used to get it. Well, I love what Eldridge uh, wrote about in Wild of Heart. He said, let the world feel the full weight of who I am and let them deal yeah. with it. And and that is yeah. a statement of a man who knows his identity and that it's not wrapped up in work or affirmation. It's wrapped up in who he is as a unique son of the king. You know what I'm saying? You, you, yes. you, you shared a story earlier on and you've alluded to it a couple of times. I want to go back to it. You know, you said earlier, just a little bit ago, you said, I argued with a pastor or two. <laughs> and yeah. then and then your wife talking about your relationship at that one church and you shared a story early on about you 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 had a men's retreat planned the pastors pushed it back a year and then the next year rolled along and then they they wouldn't didn't have a uh you know there was no room at the end <laughs> so now you're out in the parking lot with a with a canopy what is what is I struggle with this and I help me out with this biblically we know that when a man gets it everyone wins statistically we know that when a man gets it, every wins. Everyone wins. Statistically, we know that when a man doesn't get it, everyone loses. Why is it that so many pastors shrink back from having strong uh, men who I who are under who are confident in their identity in Christ? Why is there a shrinking back? And and your mission with the barn is actually to uh, invade quote invade the local church. So there's no need for an invasion if everything right. is and everything is good but it sounds like you you invade a territory that is conquered by the enemy. You know, what what is your what is your what is your history? What is your opinion about this pushback from the local church when it comes to men? Or I guess the yeah, word would be great, resistance. That's a great question. So my a chapter in my someday best-selling book will be called invading the local church and as we're talking that, that may be a whole separate book um maybe we can write it together yeah um, yeah and with dale dale could like maybe endorse it for us there you go there um, you go bring, bring in the big guns when we need them um you know I, several things come to mind i i think a lot of pastors just as men i think a lot of pastors walk alone mm-hmm I think there's probably hard for them to figure out, you know, who can I be real with? And because of that, because of that, I don't, not many pastors model, uh, forgive me all you pastors. I just, I don't need all five fingers to count the times I've heard pastors from the pulpit in 40 years say, man, I love Jesus y'all, but my life is a mess right now. And I don't have an easy answer. I may have one next week. It's usually if they say that, they say, they, they say, and here's two Bible verses that, that whipped it all out for me, and I'm good now. Okay, well, that was helpful. Uh, my pastor struggled for like 30 minutes. I can relate to that. Um, so I, I think there's a thing with, I think the pastors are, and, and I, God bless them. I, what a job, what a calling that is. I, I think some pastors are maybe, and I, I won't, I, some are probably threatened a little bit by strong men. And I, I will say this to my brothers in, in love, if you're trying to bring some authentic men's ministry to your church, you, you need to be on your knees. Cause I'm telling you pastors many times I know, cause I've been guilty. I think they've felt, I got this group of renegade men 
in my congregation. They think they know everything about men's ministry. And I would argue that a lot of the laymen that are in the, in the front lines for the hearts of men, frankly, do know more about reaching men than their pastors. But to, to, if that's your attitude, and I had a moment in my life where it was like, hey, we know how to do men's ministry, pastor, and you don't. Well, well, that's that's a great attitude to have. So when we started the men's ministry at Steel Creek, a group of us, every Wednesday before the men would come, so my wife gave me a dispensation. She said, honey, you can, I'm good if you're Tuesday night at the barn and Wednesday night at Steel Creek because I want you the other five times, five nights, five days a week, and I see what it's doing in your heart and other men. So I, would, I think men need to really be on their knees to pray, pray, pray. And I'll I'm not a prayer stud. I'd rather grab a sword and go fight a demon. Prayer feels passive, but I know that's upside down thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I think there's that. I think churches, the the women and the children get the attention. This new church that I'm sort of helping with their men's ministry every week, there's an email blast and it's got all the activity. This church is just a few months old. The women are doing this, the children are doing this. And here's, and the men, the men tend to step, step back instead of step in. Um, and then churches, you, you know, there's some churches, I think, uh, my friends and I have decided every three years, all the pastors go to a conference somewhere in Colorado and they come back with a new way they're doing church, simple church, small group church, whatever. And so they got this new system and here's, here's a little box called men's ministry, or maybe we don't, maybe the new system doesn't, we don't do specific ministries. It's just all family based, whatever. So I, I don't. I don't know. I, I think it's a great, I think the church is the greatest mission field for the hearts of men. And, and I don't, I would hope men don't have an arrogant attitude about that. Like I, like I have had. So um, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but it, it's a, it's a great mission field. And I, I think it takes a lot of intercession and humility and the pastors need to know pastor. I, we might disagree on stuff, pastor, but we're with you and our, our pastor over the course of a year, once in a while, we'll say, hey, we're doing a six-week series on so-and-so. And like the men's ministry finds out a week before. And we sort of had planned something for three months. And then we get a, a memo from upper-level management saying, hey, we want all the men in the big sanctuary. The preacher's going to be bringing this. And it's, our flesh goes, dude, kind of feels disrespectful that you've tasked us to plan the men's ministry. And then you blow up our fall because you want to do something. And you didn't tell us. But we take a breath and we say, you know what? If our pastor is doing that and he wants us there, we're going to be there. We're going to support him. We want him to know we are for you, even if even if we don't maybe see uh, eye to eye on how everything should be done. It's hard. It's hard to navigate. You, you guys know this. It's real hard to navigate. Uh, and when I think about it, I think, you know, the enemy opposes. <laughs> I told somebody recently, I don't know much about anything, but I know, I know for sure everything God is calling forth for you and from you will be fiercely opposed all the time by the world, the flesh and the devil and men, men being wholehearted in the church. I can't, if I'm the enemy, that's my number one target. Yeah. I could take out the men and get them disconnected and get them ticked off at their pastor and get them, you know, Hey, we'll just, we'll just go to a barn and do it. And that's, and that's not at the barn. Our, our mission is we want to send men back into the church to encourage their pastors and other men. And it may look like you and five guys at Panera Bread for the next five years. That yeah. may be what it looks like. No, you, you've unpacked some things that are, are pretty powerful statements. And I, earlier in the podcast, you talked about your frustration between the church world and the marketplace. And I think that's one of them, right? In the church world, uh, we have no problem you know, changing the course in, with, and giving nobody uh, a warning. Where in the right. marketplace, you just don't do that. And and right. this, we had a situation where I took my men's men's ministry at our church on a, um, a men's event, and the company was a nonprofit organization that switched over to profit, but they treated us like they were still a nonprofit. And so when I went yeah. back and had to confront some of their behaviors, they were like, oh, well, but, and I go, whoa, 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 you're a, you're a for-profit now, so start acting like one. Which means you're going to put us where we want it, and you're going to we planned it, we made an agreement. You're going to stick to it. You're not going to wing it because we're a Christian group, you know. Right. And so there's a problem. And, and the other ad- thing you address, I think, is really powerful. Maybe the most powerful. I'm I'm deeply alarmed at how how desperate pastors are 
they are living lives of quiet desperation. I'll tell you what, because I've been there. I, I mean, I was great in the foyer, great in the foyer, mm-hmm. but horrible as a friend. And, and I've really grown in that area. And there still is a, there's still, but I think the, our poor pastors feel like they, they don't have a lightning rod. They don't have somebody they can be vulnerable to. And if they get up front of the pulpit and share or confess, they're going to be crucified for it. And so they are trained. They have this authenticity trained out of them. And it's it's deeply troubling because they're losing their masculine soul in the yeah. process, which maybe that's why they focus on women and children, because the men who get it can see the fake. Yeah. And, and that's scary. You, uh, that's scary. The the picture that I sent you that was on Love the it. Facebook page of the soldier carrying the wounded guy, and I can hardly talk about it without without getting emotional but so the wounded guy's got the gun you know he's over the shoulders and he's covering the healthy guy who's carrying him away uh, 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 some time ago i was involved in a conference and we had that picture up all weekend on the screen every session that picture was up and i had a pastor of a very large church at the end of the weekend said that picture has haunted me all weekend i said why is that Nobody's carrying me. He he said, I'm afraid if I went down, nobody would come for me as a pastor. Yeah. And I get yeah. it. I get it. It breaks my heart, but I, I do. That's a great challenge to pastors who are probably living in a world where they convince themselves they maybe need, you know, they're walking. Too many of them walking alone in, in the pews. As you guys know, the pews are full of men walking alone, and that's. That's the joy of the mission of the barn and just the, the allies that we have and the friends we've met across the country the last 15 years, that there's a common thread. And you, you guys are doing such a great job. I applaud you again for helping to spread the message. I, I'm not sure anything I've said today is a whole lot different. than uh, I think there's some there's a theme. Uh, yes. And I love the yeah. I love the Zoe. I love orientation. Zoe, do you know who you are? Do you know where you are? Do you, do you know you're in a hell of a battle? And do you know the good that God is up to? Do you know the calling that God has written on your heart? Well, when I interviewed Michael, when I interviewed Michael, I changed that. So I made it better. Do you know who you are? Do you know where you are? And do you know why you are? Yeah. Why are you here? We've got to answer that question. And here's the thing I would tell, uh, I don't know how we got to pastors, but I I am one, and so I'm concerned. (laughs) But what a pastor needs to realize if he were to walk into a group of 12 guys in his church who are solid, oriented men and say to those guys, man, I'm a broken vessel, I need help, nobody in the church, the women won't do it, the teens won't do it, the children won't do it, yeah. No, there's nobody in the church who will rally around that broken pastor like the men will. And, and this is, this is you said that men are penetrators, right? Yeah. You said that. Yeah. Men are also problem solvers, and we love to invade a problem and fix it. And when a, when a pastor produces this, uh, I call it a veneer of manhood, which is non-existent, guys see through that and they shrink back from that. But the pastor who says, hey, uh, I, I have some needs here, forget the pastor, the man who says that. This yeah. is where the barn is so powerful, right? So, so ba- yeah. let's get back to the barn. You said that you're a heart surgeon. You said that you identify. You guys are all about the heart. You had a guy came in uh, into into your barn with tears in his eye, saying, "Is this a place where men get real?" So that the thing that I haven't heard from you clearly enough, Haynes, is how do the men get real? Uh, you, you know what happens in those groups of five and six? Because we have guys listening right now that might want to start a men's ministry. We have guys yeah. listening right now that are starting one of our virtual teams or a men in the arena team in their in their state or country. What, what in those groups? Those teams that we start are you know six to ten guys. What what is it in those groups that would tell us that there's some heart stuff going on? Yeah. Um. Great question. We, uh, you know, over the years, we've, we've kind of trained each other because the small group breakout time is so vital. Step back from the small groups uh, is, is if guys say, I want to get real with some guys, I would, I would say, how real do you want to get? And you go first. Mm, yeah, for um, sure. For sure. Right? Yes. Because you, if you get up there and say, 
hey guys, I'm struggling because I've been kind of fudging on my expenses at work and I need to repent. Or are you going to say, dude, I love my wife, but I got visions of old girlfriends dancing in my head all the time when my wife's not affectionate to me and it's killing me and I need to tell somebody I want to be free and I can't get free by myself. To me, that's a lot more real than fudging your expense report, even though both of them are probably not so good. So yeah. at the barn, God has given many, many, many of us grace to stand up there and say, Hey, this is what's true. And, uh, and this is what I'm struggling with. We had a, uh, so many stories. We had a pastor who'd come, he'd been kicked out of his church because he wasn't doing it right. He moved back to the Charlotte area and he's just a mild mannered guy. And he sat in the back and after four or five weeks, he just walked up, uh, when we were kind of welcoming and everybody and he said, could I say something? We said, sure. He said, I've been a pastor 20 plus years. I thought I would go to my grave and never tell anybody that I've been hooked on pornography for over 20 years and I want to be free. I want to be free and I can't get free by myself. And there were a barn full of men that said, brother, you just took a giant step. You got it out of the darkness into the light. And I love, uh, I think John Lynch said something like, what if there were a place where the worst about you could be known mm. and people would run towards you instead of away from you in the telling of it? And mm. that's what the church, that's what the body of Christ should be. And the enemy beats the ever-living crap out of us with shame. And you're the only one and all that stuff that we know really isn't true. So so there's, there's you just need a man or two to drop the drawers as we say and say hey this is what's true and then the small group guys and it's very difficult because you guys have been in small groups there's always one guy that wants to run away with the group a guy with a yeah. big mouth like me so how do you rein him in and how do you deal with the guy that doesn't want to talk and how do you deal with the guy we have we have a thing we don't use it very often we we developed you know in basketball guys get teed up and in our small groups we give guys authority if they have the nads to tee a guy up. And that means two things. You're talking too long. And that means theology. If you got theology for us, send it an email and we'll send it to everybody right now. We want to hear what God has on your heart. We don't, we don't want to hear, we don't want to hear your theological exposition on how this guy should get fixed or yeah. even how you should get fixed. We just want to, we just, it's raw. We want to hear your heart. We, we can get the theology. I mean, God has gifted men and women to teach and preach and, and we can get that other places, but at the barn, it's that's sort of the heart surgery feel. So, what's the most important question? If you were to, if you had a small group of guys at the barn and you could ask them one question, like it's in your hip pocket, it is your go-to question. What is it? Well, for for first-time guys, my go-to is if it's three o'clock in the morning and all hell's breaking loose in your life. How many men are in your cell phone that you would call that would see your number, name and answer? And when, when you told them, I need help, they wouldn't say what's wrong. They'd say, where are you? Mm -hmm. I'm coming. I'm coming. We had a, this new church we're helping. We had one of their leaders in a circle last Saturday. We were all just sharing some stories. And he said, you know, I've been hearing you guys talk, and it's occurred to me that I don't have one Christian man that I would say is a friend mm. that I could talk to about things that are important. This is the leader of a church. So that's, that's my awareness question. And, and I guess maybe a second hip pocket was cause I really believe whatever God's calling forth from us is opposed. Uh, I would say what, you know, what are the things in your life where you see the enemy is opposing you where you tend to step back and retreat instead of step in. And for the married guys, 93.2% of them is my wife. And I love Eldridge who said once profoundly, most Christian men are terrified of their wives because they have given her the power to validate him. And that also gives her the power to destroy them. So they're afraid of their wives. Oh, wow. I've never heard that. Yeah. Well, me, it's not me, you, Dale, but there's other guys that have No, I understand that. that. I just hadn't heard that before. Yeah. I'd never heard, <laughs> I'd never no. read that from Eldridge. I'd never heard that before. But I, I do agree with you that, that, um, that we are so addicted as men to affirmation. Yeah. 
identity. Right. right. It makes, which, you know, any conversation with men, the first question is, who are you? The next one is, what do you do? And then mm-hmm. we fill in the blanks, how much money they make, how big their house is, how many toys they have. But it yeah. makes sense that the number one important, most important person in life would be the same person that we seek to receive affirmation from, right? And you had said men yeah. are penetrators, so she affirms yeah. us by enveloping us physically. She affirms right. us by supporting us and respecting us. And if we are careful, aren't careful about it, we could fall into that trap of of worshiping her, yep. literally. Yep. Literally. And you know what? I'm sure. I'm sure that works for a while, right? I mean, yeah. I think of young girls. I hear of some of the unbelievable sexual things going on in middle school and high school with young girls. And I think, you know what, at at that young girl's heart, she's asking the question, do you see me? Do you want me? Will you fight for me? Will you pursue me? That's in her heart. And at, at the age of 12, 13, 14, you know, they don't, they don't really understand that. And they think I'm answering those questions because I can get these boys attention. If I go to do whatever, you know, (laughs) if I get involved sexually with them. Yeah, I agree. I I don't think there's, you know, when I was growing up, we heard words like slut, whore, nymphomaniac. I just don't think those words exist. I th- I think in the reality, women are they live lives of quiet desperation in their own right, and yeah. and women desperately need uh, to be to have their beauty and their value affirmed, and ultimately that needs to be from their father in heaven. Yeah. Unfortunately. If they don't have a father in their life, they will turn towards other human uh, elements to receive that affirmation, and it's almost always unhealthy. And so, no, yeah. I, I agree with that 100%. Well, I, I I would go back to your first question, and I don't know if it was you, Haynes. I don't know where I heard this, but it's been fairly recent. You know, I've been thinking about this, and I actually wrote about this in our Equipping Blast. Who are your two-in-the-morning friends? Yeah. I mean, like, really, not because they're obligated, because they you're their boss, but who are the guys that you could call that would come after you, you know? Yeah. Um, and 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 if I'm if I'm honest about it, as much as I love my wife, she would not be on that list, and I'll tell you why. Because I wouldn't want to pull her in to my two in the morning situation. Because <laughs> yeah. I want to guard and protect my wife. If I'm going to call somebody in two in the morning, it's going to be somebody who has the full ability to have my back and to drag me out, to carry me on their shoulders as I'm trying to shoot the gun behind me to, to get us out mm-hmm. of there. And so that, to me, has to be a man. Yeah. No, that's good. And what one of the big—we have about 10 barn sayings. I should write them down and publish a book to be the sequel to your bathroom book, which we have in the bathroom <laughs> at the barn. Love the it. The field guide. But we, we say every week, you, you don't know a man until you know his story. And uh, unless we figure out how to be intentional and, and here, uh, we just finished the wild at heart series for probably the 15th time. And since then the last four or five weeks, we've had two men each Tuesday night. We give them each half an hour. We say, I know you could use half a day, but give us a half hour overview. And some men that I've known for 10 years, I'm here in that half an hour. I'm hearing stuff I didn't know about. And we had two men last night weeping. So uh, one guy, big corporate America guy weeping, before the brothers as he recounted the pain of battling his father so his father wouldn't beat up his mother and just it, just wow and, and just to, whatever the story is and everybody's got a story um and to, so to know to hear those stories is what draws you and connects you to 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 other men and uh speaking of stories i know, I know we're probably getting close to wrap up time up. There's been a lot about accountability uh, in men's circles and you guys have had some great guests on talking about that. And I, I'm going to, I want to leave. I, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't get this in. One of the chapter titles of my soon to be bestselling book is I do not hold my friends accountable. Dot, dot, dot. And I, I referenced, I referenced Reggie Campbell with the radical mentoring out of Atlanta, but I, I got this in an email from him six, eight months ago. He said, I do not hold my friends accountable. I hold them close. Ah. And, and, his, and, his, and his point, and I'm going to put that on a T-shirt. And his point is, and Eldridge makes his point in one of his talks. He, said, he says, accountability is not a good goal. Real accountability is the fruit of intimacy. Hmm. I, I, I've been in church world where I just met a guy on Wednesday night. And the next thing we know, we're all pairing off. We're giving each other our phone numbers and say, hey. Call Fred, who you just met on Wednesday, and he's going to ask you if you look at porn. It's like, dude, I don't even know Fred. 
I'm, I don't think I'm going there with Fred. So I, I love that. I don't hold my friends accountable. I, I hold them close. And your, your recent friend, uh, L O E H R Lore Matt Lauer. Uh, yeah. He, he actually, I, I listened to that podcast. Matt that you Lair. Guys did. Matt Lair. Matt, Matt Lair. So he shared in, I don't know if it was a book, but he shared a part of accountability about accountability. And he started out talking about the men that love me. That, that was kind of the entree into his talking about, uh, talking about accountability. There was that, that love and intimacy and the fruit. I've got friends that love me and I know well, and if I'm struggling with whatever, the, the fruit of our intimacy is I can, I can tell them anything. And that, that's where that, that accountability, when I tell my brother, dude, I'm struggling with this. Uh, and I don't even have to say, please call me on Wednesday. It's just, there's something about getting it out of the darkness into the light that takes a lot of that power out of it. And because he loves me, he, he will, he will ask me, say, Hey, how's, how's that going with your teenager or what, whatever. So that's one, that's, that's one of my sayings of the year, guys. I don't hold my friends accountable. I hold them close. Yeah, that's really good. I had a, we had a recent show guest, uh, and we interviewed about him about his book and he's a, he's a sex addict specialist. And he said that every church should have a guy in the church that goes around saying, When's the last time you looked at porn? And I thought, you know what? That guy's not going to last in church because yeah. the answer to that question comes from closeness, not accountability. Yeah. And so to yeah. say that yeah. we should be asking that question is is really asinine and 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 uh, it's really <laughs> not, ignorant in, in a lot of ways because that's not how that's not how how men uh, operate with each other. So I really like that. Hold your hold your guys close instead I, of accountable. I, yeah, yeah. So it's the it's the setup. I do not hold my friends accountable. So there's this pause where people, and here I hold them close. And here's what God's been showing me the last number of years is we are drawn to the law all the time. Yeah. Nonstop. And I, I wrote a little thing in a journal a couple of years ago. I was praying and thinking I, I wrote, I just wrote this down, desire defeats discipline. And I said, Lord, you're making me a preacher, three Ds. I don't like that. But anyway, desire defeats discipline. And what God showed me, Gary Barkalow talks a lot about this. It's like, What's in your heart that's going to win out over your most determined efforts to stop that thing you can't stop? Yeah, it's going to sure. come out of your heart. I, years ago, I went to a big men's conference in Charlotte, and there was a big African American guy on the stage. He was talking about pornography and lust and masturbation, which I have renamed having sex with yourself because it's really it, it flows a lot better. But he was up on the stage, <laughs> and he was he was telling he was saying, "Brothers, we need to draw a line in the sand." He was jumping up and down. He was crying. We were all crying. He was spinning around. You got to draw a line in the sand, a line in the sand. So I leave the conference. Me and another guy I have two carloads of guy. We're going to a place to eat. And I call my friend Robin. I said, Robin, is it just me? Or have you drawn a line in the sand a thousand times? Good point. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. I don't need yep. more determination. I need heart surgery. That is that is really good. Speaking of heart surgery, we're uh, we're out of time, Haynes. But I want <laughs> I want to end with this uh, heart heart surgery question here. So, I'm a man. I'm driving to work. I'm listening to this podcast. If I'm really honest with myself at the deepest of level levels, I am living a life of quiet desperation. Yeah. What are you going to say to that guy to get him out of that realm and into the realm of becoming his best version? I would say pray that God hooks you up with one brother that you can walk with and you can get real with. And you may, it may, you may have to go through a few. We have guys come to the barn one time, and we see on the way out, they're thinking they thought they were coming to the men's Bible study, and they came to heart surgery without anesthesia. So <laughs> I, would, I would say pray. Yeah, it's painful. Uh, it's messy. I would say pray that God would lead you. Uh, and my guess is... I love Gary Barkle again. He says, God has written the desires on your heart. And we're out there trying to please everybody else. And we have no clue as to, I was in a counseling session once and a counselor said, what do you want? My wife had just read 14 things off a list of what she wanted. He said, what do you want? And I'm sure he said, besides sex, we talked about that the last two weeks. <laughs> I said, what do I want? I don't want anything. My job's to find out what everyone else wants and give it to them. And he paused and he looked at me and said, what do you think it's like to be married to the man that doesn't want anything? 
And, th- and that was a significant moment in my life when I said, you know what? I have so shut down my heart that I'm not willing to want. I'm out there being Mr. Men's Ministry, worship guy, blah, 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 blah. Let me throw up. I'm being, I'm, I'm the performance driven Christian and I'm so in touch with, out of touch with my heart. So even ask, I would tell that man, ask God, God, what is it that you've put on my heart that, that I'm supposed to do? What, what do I love? Because mm. we, many men are just out, we're Mr. Servant Robot and we get applauded in the church. Oh, this guy's volunteers for everything. And then he runs off with Susie, the Amazon secretary. And we all go, what in the world? He was looking for an adventure because he wasn't finding it with God and he wasn't finding it in his own heart. He was looking for it out there somewhere. Yeah, that's good stuff, man. Hey, I really appreciate that, Hans. I, I really am excited to get you on our show today. I'm excited that you're on the show and sure appreciate uh, all of, all the contacts and all the interactions and all the things you're doing, man. Hey, guys, what is next? What's the action step? We're going to get our boots on the ground here. And I, after listening to Haynes talk and hearing his heart, I think there are a lot of you out there who are listening to this. And if you're if you're really honest with yourself, you are alone. You're living a life of quiet desperation. You may have a lot of acquaintances, but very little friends. You may be great in the foyer, but but horrible in the friend realm. And so here's what I want you to do. I just want you to get away, and I want you to ponder this question. Who is my two-in-the-morning friend? Not your wife. Is there a brother that you can call in the two-in-the-morning? And if the answer is an honest no, then I want you to really think about finding that guy. They're out there. It's probably another quietly desperate man like you. But uh, we want you to think about that. That that will be the difference maker in your life, guys. We'll also post the boots on the ground action item in our weekly equipping blast. And guys, uh, make sure you head on over to our website, uh, get our free electronic version of our bathroom book for men. And while you're doing that, we're going to sign you up for our equipping blast, and we're going to throw your name into our brand new forum for men called Tribes. You're going to love this forum. It's a great, it's a great, great deal, guys. You're going to love this thing. So, hey, Haynes, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Sure appreciate you, bro. Hopefully one day I'll get out to the Carolinas in the fall. But, hey, guys, you may not know this, but we are a crowdfunded nonprofit organization. We are in the middle of a what we call our 180 campaign, raising $180,000 in 180 days to fight uh, apathetic males and indifferent dads and to help those guys who are living lives of quiet desperation to get out of the lonely bleachers and into the arena Swinging the sword with brothers. So if you want to know more about that, we are trying to do that, raise that money, and we want to do that through face-to-face, one-on-one meetings. So we don't want you to send a check, but we want you to say, hey, Ramos, give me a call. I want to hear about your ministry. So that's what we're throwing out there. I'm doing 180 workouts in 180 days. Talk about quietly desperate. Woo, baby, that ain't fun. But I I find I can't do it without my wife and some other people helping me. So uh, that's awesome. So guys, until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Find a two-in-the-morning friend. Grind it out. And be a man. Men in the arena. If you hunger to be your best version, join us along with thousands of men from around the world. Check out our Men in the Arena forums. You can join on Facebook or on our website at meninthearena.org. While you're on our website, remember to pick up your free electronic version of Jim's Bathroom Book for Men, The Field Guide. It's a daily study of manly words with epic stories in the Bible. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.